Hello and welcome to Unity Presbyterian Church Online. This morning in worship, Pastor David begins a new series on the life of King David with a look at his anointing. Let's listen. Well, as you can see on the screen, we are starting a new preaching series. It's titled The Story of David. And I've been having to tell my kids, it's not my story. This is not about me. No. This is David in the Bible. And so I want to get us thinking, okay, when you think of David in the Bible, what do you think of? Do you think of, oh, he was a king, right? King David. Or do you think when he was a child, he, he fought that giant, he fought Goliath. Or do you think, oh no, David, when he was later in life, he had a fall from grace. He committed both murder and adultery. Well, if you think of any of those things, all of that is true. I'm sure a lot of different thoughts swirl in your mind when you think of the story of David. So this winter, we are starting a new preaching series where we're going to study his life from the time he was a boy to the time as an old man he gave up the throne. We'll study the scriptures about this larger-than-life character that the Bible said was a man after God's own heart. Something the Bible doesn't say about anybody else. At the time that our story begins, David is around the age of a middle schooler, if not a little bit younger. David is the youngest in his family, and he's trained to be a shepherd. So his task was to go out into the fields, sometimes for weeks at a time, and watch the sheep. Now, in our opening story today, we don't actually see much of David. No, he comes in near the end. Instead, David's story really begins with a prophet, and that prophet's name was Samuel. So as a reminder, in this time period, God used prophets to speak to his people. When God had a message, God would give that message to a prophet, and then the prophet would act as a mouthpiece and deliver that message to the people of God. So God has delivered a message to Samuel, except this time it's a secret message. It's not for all the people of God. It's a secret message, and it's a dangerous message. That's where our story begins in 1 Samuel chapter 16. So the message that we're told is that Saul, the current king, is no longer going to be king. He is not seeking God or following God's ways, so God is going to choose a new king of Israel. Here's how the Bible puts it. The Lord said to Samuel, How long will you grieve over Saul? I have rejected him from being king over Israel. Fill your horn with oil and set out. I will send you to Jesse, the Bethlehemite, For I provided for myself a king among his sons. Yes, the the secret and dangerous message is that the current king, King Saul, is not going to be a king much longer. Instead, God is choosing a new king, but nobody knows this except for God and now Samuel. And Samuel is upset over this message. He had high hopes for Saul. Saul, after all, was the first king ever in the history of Israel. But he, towards the middle of his reign, really stopped following God. And he stopped leading the country in the ways of God. And so God says, I've rejected him 
I'm going to choose a new king. And he tells Samuel, I want you to take your horn. I want you to fill it with oil. And I want you to go to the little town of Bethlehem. And there, he tells him, you're going to find a man named Jesse. And Jesse has many sons. And one of those sons you're going to anoint with oil as my next king. Now, Samuel, he's given this message, but he's a little upset by it. This is not the message that he wanted to hear because these are not easy instructions. Or here's how Samuel puts it. Samuel said, how can I go? If Saul hears of it, he will kill me. Now, that's a rational argument, isn't it? I mean, if the current king of Israel hears that this prophet is anointing a new king of Israel, I mean, that would amount to treason, wouldn't it? Uh, Treason, and he could be executed, put to death because of it. So Samuel is not happy with this message. He says, what are you asking of me? But God is undeterred, and God tells him to go anyway. Now, It is a brand new year we are starting. It is 2023, and I bet there will be a time in this next year that God asks something of you that will put you outside of your comfort zone, something that you don't feel ready to do, something that will require a massive amount of faith. And in that moment, you may feel like Samuel, telling God, God, what are you asking of me? God, how can I go? But in that moment, I hope you remember this story. And I hope that you can mimic the same resolve that Samuel had. Because even in his fear, he chose to still go. So in our story, we skip ahead a couple of verses and Samuel travels to Bethlehem. He travels to Jesse's house. And he realizes that Jesse has brought his seven sons in the room, and he just knows that one of those sons is going to be the next king of Israel. But there must have been something about the oldest son, because when Samuel sees the oldest son, he thinks, oh, that's the one. That's the one that God is going to choose as the next king. Or here's how he puts it in the scriptures. When they came, he looked on Eliab and thought, surely the Lord's anointed is now before the Lord. So what was it about Eliab, do you think, that made him stand out to Samuel? Was he particularly handsome? Or did he just have that look of a king? We don't know. But what we know is that when Samuel notices him, it makes him think that God is going to choose him as the next king. Now, what I want you to notice is that Samuel has not yet spoken to Eliab. He has never met Eliab before. He doesn't really know him. So at this point in the story, Samuel is only judging Eliab by what he looks like on the outside, his outward appearance. Now we're about to find out how God uses, what criteria God uses to choose the next king of Israel. But before we read this next verse, I want us to reflect on what we think, what qualities or attributes we think would make for a good king. 
So if you were going to appoint the next leader of a country, what qualities would you be looking for in that person? Uh, If you're watching online, go ahead and put some in the chat box right now. I'd love to to go back and see what qualities you think uh, would make for a good king. Or if you're with us in person, uh, you've got on the back of your bulletin an outline, and you can jot down a couple of qualities. I'd be curious what those are. Are those charisma? Would you want a person that's, that's really charismatic? Wisdom, would that be your quality? Uh, would you want a certain education level? Or would you want that person to just have the look of being a leader? What qualities would you pick? Well, here's God's criteria for choosing the next leader of Israel. But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not consider his appearance or his height, for I have rejected him. God does not look at the things people look at. People look at the outward appearance, but God looks at the heart. So when you or I look at a person, all we see is their outward appearance. That's all we can see. And it is so easy, so natural to make quick subconscious judgments based on what we see. So, for example, I could be walking down the street and I could see someone in a really nice suit and my mind's automatically going to make assumptions about that person. Oh, they must have a really well-paying job or they, that's an expensive suit. I'm going to be thinking things about them. But then as I continue my walk, I might see a little further down the street a person that slept on the street that night. And again, subconsciously, my mind might come up with reasons that why that person must be there. What's happened in their past? What's a part of their story for how they ended up where they did? But notice, I don't know either one of them. I truly don't know them. I'm just judging by what I see on the outside, the outward appearance because that's all that we really have to go by. We make snap judgments, don't we? It's only when you really get to know someone that you begin to get glimpses of their heart. So think of someone that you know really well, and it's probably taken years, hasn't it, of conversation, of sharing authentically and in trust who you are and who they are with you, that you begin to to understand who they are on the inside, that you begin to understand the content of their heart. What takes us years, God sees right away. Yes, when God looks at us, I don't think God cares too much about what our exteriors look like, regardless of the amount of time we spend making them look like we want them to look. But when God sees us, God sees us as we truly are. God sees what is in our heart. God sees the core of us. When God is picking the next king of Israel, it will have nothing to do with that person's outward appearance because God can see what no one else can see. So the criteria that God uses is the content of that person's heart. And it's not going to be Eliab, the oldest son. So Jesse calls the second oldest. The scripture goes on. It says, Then Jesse called Abinadab 
and made him pass before Samuel. And he said, neither has the Lord chosen this one. Then Jesse made Shema pass by. And he said, neither has the Lord chosen this one. Jesse made seven of his sons pass before Samuel. And Samuel said to Jesse, the Lord has not chosen any of these. Do you think Samuel's getting nervous at this time? I mean, he had been sent to anoint a new king of Israel, and God just rejected all seven sons that are in the room. Samuel actually, in a couple of verses, says, are all your sons here? Are, are there any more? I imagine him looking around the room going, God, what are you up to? You've just rejected everybody in this room. But Jesse tells him, well, yes, there's one more. There's the youngest son. He's still out in the fields. I, I didn't bring him in. And Samuel says, go get him. So in this time period, the number seven represented perfection. Uh, seven sons in particular was a sign of extreme blessing upon a family. Uh, Ruth, in the, in the story of Ruth in the Old Testament, she was thought to be so valuable to her family that they said to Ruth, Ruth has been better to you than seven sons. Thinking, okay, seven sons, that's, that's the pinnacle. That is perfection right there. David is the eighth son. David has been left out in the fields to watch the sheep while Samuel picks a new king. All of David's brothers are brought in the house to be presented before Samuel, but David's father thinks he is such an unlikely choice to be chosen that he does not even bring him in the house. He leaves him in the fields. Well, perhaps it was because David was so young. Or perhaps it was because he was the youngest in a society that valued the oldest. We don't know the reason. All we know is that the shepherd boy, the eighth son, was an afterthought to his father. But he was not an afterthought to God. Samuel says, go get him. And he sent and brought him in. And now he was ruddy and had beautiful eyes, and was handsome. The Lord said, rise and anoint him, for this is the one. Then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the presence of his brothers. And the Spirit of the Lord came mightily upon David from that day forward. On the outside, David should not be king, right? He is the eighth son He's the shepherd boy. He's the youngest in society that values the oldest. And he has no claim to the throne. But God looks at a person's heart. God looks at what's going on in the core of a person. The stuff that no one else can see. And God chooses David. In a secret ceremony that nobody knows about, much less Saul, the current king, God picks David to be the next king, a young shepherd boy whose heart is in the right place. Later on, much, much later in the New Testament, the book of Acts remembers the story this way. The book of Acts says, God testified concerning him, I have found David, son of Jesse, a man after my own heart. He will do everything I want him to do. 
Yes, David is chosen as king because his heart wanted what God's heart wants. And really, after hearing this story, after studying it together, that should be our goal as well. We should seek to conform our hearts to the heart of God, uh, to want the things that God wants, to desire the things that God desires, to pursue the things that God pursues. That is the goal for us today, to be people after God's own heart. Now, we'll be learning a lot more about David over these next couple of weeks as he slowly journeys to the throne. But for now, I want us just to reflect for a moment on this wonderful idea that that God can see what no one else can see. That when God looks at you, God sees the content of your heart. That really is an incredible concept to think about. That God cares about who you are and not just how you look. I mean, there is a great diversity in skin and body types in the world, isn't there? And I believe God celebrates all of that diversity in both skin and body types, even if our culture does not. But let's be honest. How often are we concerned and spend time thinking about what our exterior selves look like and how they are presented to the world? Do I look successful? Do I look like I've got a picture-perfect family? Uh, Am I conveying the right image that I want people to see? Do I look like I've got it all together? What the scriptures tell us today is that God sees what is real and not what we want to be real. God cares about who you are and the content of your heart. As we approach this new year, I hope that that becomes your goal, to say, okay, if God sees what's in here, then this is what I'm going to spend time cultivating. I'm going to cultivate my heart. I'm going to seek to find God's heart. And when I think that I know it, when I think I have a glimpse of the heart of God, I'm going to try to conform myself and my heart to God. Yes, may you pursue the heart of God just as David did. Amen. If you would like more information about Unity Presbyterian Church, please visit our website at www.unitypres.org or visit us on Facebook. This is the Unity Presbyterian Church Podcast. Have a great week.